What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Week 8 DFS MVP Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com. As always, with my wonderful co-hosts, Mr. John Daigle, Mr. Pat Corain. How are we doing this week, boys? Doing good. No bye weeks and uh, yet got the content done. So it's it feels good. I feel pretty good today. A little you, giddy, a little loopy, but uh, we got there. You know there is no bye weeks whenever, again, the podcast feed updates. The legendary walkthrough audio <laughs> comes out and it's four hours and six yeah. minutes long. Corain, what are you doing? What yeah, I know. AI. I know. I need to self scout. At, look, there no. were no buys this week. You, you just <laughs> need to gonna, write a book already. Just like get on the New York Times bestseller list instead of running your own fantasy company. What are you doing? <laughs> Wild. Yeah. Well, there's lots of good nuggets in there this week. I, it's no not going to be. Yeah, this show is not going to be four hours, but apparently there's going to be a lot to hit or bat around. It's there, also- there were no bye weeks, so I thought this is the time I should make it, I sure I work in ESPN's open score and receiver ratings this week. I've got to add a new stat that I'm going to talk about Sam Howell for 20 minutes on, and then uh, I'm also going to just like add another thing to the chart for, for no reason. So, you know. Unless that stat is about how Sam Howe is responsible for all of his own sex. I don't. It is. But okay, good. That's what it's about. <laughs> um, a fun tournament slate, too. My head is all over the place, admittedly, because it's one of those ones where everything is flat because there's so many options, which is great mm-hmm. for tournaments. That means we're not worried about overexposing ourselves. I could even set the filters to like, 95 to 105 percent max ownership because it's pretty easy to not get clumped up everywhere since the three players everyone is playing have kind of been whittled down already to uh Brees hall since he's underpriced tony pollard on FanDuel, maybe christian mccaffrey and travis Etienne and zay flowers since he continues to be underpriced other than that the world is kind of your oyster so it is fun but it's just hard to pinpoint because there are again a lot of options and a lot of games like macro, do you guys think this is a because it I don't know that I love this slate because I'm not like there aren't a ton of spots. We'll get to one um that I'm starting to feel pretty good about, but there's like not a ton of spots where I'm like, oh, I really want to attack this game. Oh, I really want to attack this game. It's more like this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And that's harder sometimes for me in tournaments where I'm just like, I don't want to just have to pick all the right players. Like that's hard. Right. I would like yeah. to use correlation and you know get get fewer things right and it doesn't strike me as a slate that is particularly good for that although there are a few interesting spots for sure yeah i i prefer like a 10 or 11 game slate as opposed to a 13 game slate um the one thing i do like about slates like this is we don't have like the highest team total or the highest game total with all of the ownership on it like i kind of hate those slates because then i feel uh, almost compelled to to have exposure or really focus in on one game. Um, I do like that we are in a spot where we can kind of pick our and choose our spots. I do agree that unlike last week where it was expected to be like really low scoring, it felt like we could just lean into um, one or two stacks and really go from there. It does kind of feel one of those weeks where you kind of have to be more perfect across the board. Um, I would note that it is a slate where we have nine early and four late. So um, those that are struggling with those big decisions, it's a really good week to play early only uh, for that reason. You you basically have a full slate Mm -hmm. on early only. Um, So uh, that is, is interesting. Um, It is a weird week in that the, we don't really have 
a potential shootout. Pretty much every team with a high total or a game with a high total has a pretty healthy spread. Uh, the unique thing about this slate is that these games with the, there are quite a few games with lower totals where we either have ownership because of pricing or um, players just projecting well. So there are going to be some games that we don't cover in depth and still have some interesting plays. Uh, but let's kind of jump into things, starting with uh, what Karain mentioned, looking at the walkthrough as we do every week. Uh, what you highlighted this week, last week you talked about uh, splash zone targets, which I think is really interesting and, and something I've been digging into this week. But you uh, looked at another receiver metric this week, and that's ESPN's open scores that got quite a bit of uh, pub on the old X slash Twitters this week. So you want to talk a little bit about that and uh, what you think can be predictive from those uh, data points? Yeah. So I think there was a lot of discussion about, um, you know, kind of the overall receiver metric, especially in the yak score and the catch score. And and I think those are, those are interesting, but like, I don't really, those don't intrigue me nearly as much as just open score on its own. So, ESPN's released these metrics. They released them last year, and then they just this past week put them out for 2023. And now we have the data going back, I believe, to 2017. They have a model for wide receivers and tight ends and a separate model. I believe it's a separate model for running backs. Um, there's a cool video on YouTube where they explain open score specifically. They're able to use player speed, player positioning. Like if a, defend, if a guy gets a defender to turn the wrong way, that'll got to be factored into it. Um, they can... Uh, utilize a kind of a number of factors and this is i think the coolest thing look at routes when the player wasn't targeted so we get the sample size up we get you know it's not just now dependent on the quarterback to decide who was open we can actually see who's getting open um, on all of their routes and it, it can factor in like route um, variety and all that type of stuff as well uh certainly you know no metric is perfect but this is a thing that we don't really get a good look at in season, you know, I think perception perception is really cool. And um, that also gives us a really interesting look at route running ability as well. But to have something that's updating um, for the data, like as we go, I just think is quite useful. And so that's, uh, that's something that I've added to the charts this week and something I talked about last year when I had that um, in the charts, uh, when, when, it be, when it was available last year as well. So in a lot of cases, it's kind of just reinforcing stuff. I don't think it's like radically changing our opinions in, in most cases, but I do think it's yeah. identifying some guys. Um, Tank Dell is one that really pops in open score in a way that I didn't really expect. There's a few guys that are not doing as well in open score that I would have thought they might have. Amon Ross St. Brown kind of was one of the ones where I'm like, oh, it's not actually getting as open as I would have thought. He's getting open better than everyone else on the Lions, so that's, that's good enough, I guess. But yeah, I think in general, it's just a way for us to um, get a better sense of like the talent level of these players, who's going to be able to earn targets at a higher rate in the future, who's really strong target earning is actually backed up by the ability to get open. So it's it's just another kind of thing that helps bolster the, the view of these players. Yeah, um, I, I think a lot of times for redraft purposes, especially just with, if, if you are somebody that's on Twitter, um, it, it can be kind of, it can kind of feel like we're lost in the weeds with some of this data uh, for DFS purposes. I do think things like this open score with predictive uh, measures of, of possible breakout candidates 
and also things like the splash targets that we talked about last week uh, that are outliers and are small samples, but we're looking for those type of things in DFS. Uh, I think there is quite a bit of value when we can really benefit uh, from finding these very small, uh, small outcomes, small range of outcomes, but very big hits. Um, that's very important for DFS, especially for playing tournaments. Uh, you mentioned uh, Tank Dell. Uh, you had Texans um, up at the top as your your cover. Uh, game we'll probably touch on a little bit more, but uh, just a little teaser. As we talked about those splash zone targets, they actually lead the league in splash zone targets per game, the Texans do. So I think they're a really interesting team to touch on later. Uh, if you guys haven't checked out the walkthrough yet on Legendary Upside, there's a link to that in the YouTube description, as well as a link to sign up for 4 for 4 DFS. This week, don't worry about using the uh, coupon code YouTube. We have one of our best sales of the year right now, our Halloween sale. You can get access to the 4 for 4 DFS uh, subscription for just $49. That's going to go through Halloween. So make sure you sign up for that. And once you do that, you can click that link to upgrade to the solver, the best optimizer in the game. Before we get into the games, Daigle, the biggest thing we have to pay attention to this week is Brock Purdy and Sam Darnold. Purdy was put on concussion and concussion protocol this week. Um, I guess on the way back from their game is when he started getting symptoms. We haven't seen anybody get cleared this quick from concussion protocol this year. Um, but they are saying that he is questionable that if he passed the test tomorrow, he will start. Uh, if he doesn't start, I would assume we like Brock Purdy as one of the best values on the slates because the Niners have a lot of yards after catch and aren't asking him to do a lot. And he was fairly efficient in the preseason, but I do feel like we have this weird thing in DFS where like when this happens, Darnold was, is this great value we're hoping for. If Purdy does get cleared, I feel like sometimes in DFS we see like now people are suddenly on Purdy and the 49ers just because Darnold was a good value when if this was never the case, people might not have been on the 49ers at all. So um, obviously we're just waiting for the news tomorrow, but how are you playing this situation um, on either side of it? I really hope Purdy is active because mm -hmm. I don't want to have to sort through builds with the the cheapest quarterback on both sides 4300 mm -hmm. on DraftKings uh is it 4100 on FanDuel or 49 uh it's it's below it's average really cheap. yeah yeah it's still very cheap um and so it's going to lead to a lot of the same builds which then you would think allows us to be structurally different because we know how the field's going to go but also even like Donald onslaughts would be in play I think we're going to probably get the news overnight Saturday. If it comes down to a game time decision, that's interesting because then I'll probably build in Darnold with the idea I could always pivot to Purdy, late swap to him later on as a yep. game time call. But even Darnold onslaughts are interesting because the mechanics of the offense don't change no matter who is under center. Like we've mm -hmm. seen the same things play out. You go back to last year, and this past week without Debo Samuel, George Kittle's the one who gets it done every single time. Last year, 24.4% target share, 17.7 .7 PPR points per game. This past week, 24.1% target share and led the team in receiving yards. He just always shows up and he's 3K cheaper on both sites than Travis Kelsey. So we automatically want to go to him with Sam Darnold or Brock Purdy. Not only that, but 
Lou Anarumo has been leaning into man coverage more. Bengals are now playing the man coverage, the ninth highest rate in the league. And Brandon Ayuk has continued to be a killer, six in yards per route run in the league against man coverage. So either way, like we want to play all these guys uh, with Donald or Ayuk or Donald mm-hmm. or Purdy. So it just depends. Again, I think it makes our t- choices tougher if Purdy's active. So that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Um, but obviously open to Darnold on both sides because of what he allows. Just need to be a unique around it if it's Darnold under center. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think there's any way this will be a game time if I understand. Like if right. he either clears concussion yeah. uh, protocol tomorrow or he doesn't. There, I, I don't think there's any gray area here. Um, I, I do think it's interesting that even with the question mark that the Niners total is still up on the board, that they were still at a relatively healthy 24 points given the slate, um, even with the expectation that Sam Darnold was expected to start. So I do think they have a, a pretty good projection. The game's only at 43 and a half. Um, but Corrine, any thoughts on, I mean, let's just say that that it is Darnold and we're getting like a, a 15% Darnold. How do you weigh that? salary savings where it's not the same as a you know a, a $4,300 running back um you know it's, it's a quarterback we need like legit ceiling from that position generally I, I agree with Daigle I want Purdy to be active and I wanted to play I wanted to play the 49ers to begin with like I consider like early on before we knew about the concussion symptoms I was like I like this spot for the 49ers um and I think the walkthrough would have been more bullish on it if I had known just how like likely Purdy seems to be to play now. Um, but if it's Darnold, I mean, yeah, I think I'm still pretty interested. I, I pulled up his EPA per game from last year and his success rate from last year. And it was like shockingly good. I didn't remember him being quite as efficient as he was last year. And like, yeah, he was managed and it was a run heavy system, but like, guess what? He's going to be managed in a run heavy system. If he starts with the 49ers and he'll be managed much more, effectively than he was in Carolina. I'm not like afraid of Sam Darnold completely collapsing. I think the weapons are just so good and the play calling so good. And he's, he's probably capable of, you know, maybe three games from now, if he, if he was like the starter for the 49ers, he would get exposed. But I think it's like a one game fill in start. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he can keep things moving. And in general, I think this sets up pretty well for the 49ers, this matchup. So um I would have a hard time kind of not following the crowd a little bit with with some Darnold teams if if he starts. Yeah, definitely uh, the the big thing we're watching on the slate. If if Purdy is active, uh, it really throws a a wrench in cash games. We already have like a pretty tight cash game week, so uh, definitely um, stay tuned for that. But let's jump into these games with the significant totals, at least on the team total side. Uh, the biggest one this week is the Dolphins favored by nine and a half, twenty eight point two five team total over the Patriots in Miami with a total of forty seven points. This is an early game. Uh, Corrine, Miami is quite banged up, especially in the backfield. We saw Tyreek with the early week injury report, but seems like he is going to be okay. The thing that you mentioned in the walkthrough is that after a pretty hot start, not a pretty hot start, an insanely hot start, uh, Tua has been quite average over the last few weeks. Uh, do we see like a bounce back in, in huge efficiency against the Patriots this week? And does this actually set up for a pretty nice Waddle game, even if Tyreek is a full go? Yeah, well, the thing with Waddle, too, is that he's dealing with this back injury that he had, uh, I guess, during the game. So I guess 
as long as he's good to go. It's like this setup is nice, I think. Mm-hmm. And then you've got like, but Tyreek's kind of question mark. Mostert's dealing with like an ankle thing. How serious is that? Do we have to worry about that? Waddle's got a back thing. So that that part of it's like slightly concerning. But when you look at the matchup, um, one thing that the Dolphins have struggled with a bit is allowing pressure. And I yep. think that's contributed to some of Tua's struggles. And that's not a major concern with the Patriots. They're only 23rd in pass rush win rate, 21st in quick pressure rate. It's not particularly strong. Um, pass rush plus their 27th in PFF's coverage grades, the 25th in EPL out for dropback as well. Like just overall, not a very good pass defense. Obviously, Bill Belichick is familiar with this team. It's not like the blow-up spot of all blow-up spots or anything, but generally, I think this is like a good spot for the the Dolphins, provided everyone's healthy. Yeah, uh, I the the concern um, obviously is going to be um, if the Patriots push back at all. As we've mentioned, Miami doesn't necessarily need teams to push back; they can get there uh, pretty much on their own, regardless of what the other team is doing. But Miami is one of just five teams that rank in the bottom 10 and four for four schedule adjusted points allowed to both quarterbacks and running backs. So Daigle, the obvious bring back here, if we are stacking this game um, is Kendrick Bourne, 30% target share over the last two weeks, but he probably sees some ownership just because of how popular Miami is and because he's a cheap guy getting a lot of targets. But given how, bad Miami's defense has been at least in terms of allowing fantasy points is there any consideration to Mac Jones coming off of arguably the best game definitely the best game of the year maybe one of the best games of his career do we know Juju Smith-Schuster's status was he cleared from the concussion protocol I haven't seen the Friday injury report I could check real quick go ahead and check while I spiel it really uh, shouldn't matter, man. It's just so frustrating that this that has, status might matter. actually matter. I know yeah, it's it, crazy yeah. though. Like ask anyone in weeks two through five when they played Kendrick Bourne uh, if they ever wanted to play him again. The answer was no. And in these past <laughs> two games with Juju out, it just hasn't been rotational at all. And Bourne is popped yeah. for that 35 and 23% target share. So if Juju plays, I don't know how you get anywhere on this offense, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like they did look better last week, but the targets have been still still been concentrated. Uh, yeah, and it's it's tough for the Dolphins. I think Tyreek Hill's probably the safest of the bunch since we think Jalen Waddle's also banged up, just because Raheem Mostert's salary so expensive, and this Jeff Wilson grenade is coming. Uh, it didn't happen on Sunday night against the Eagles, which you expected in his first game back from injury. Also, we know teams can't run against the Eagles and they don't even try. The Dolphins had 11 running back carries and only 14 running back touches against Philadelphia. Even they knew better. But even the last time Miami played New England in week two, uh, they doubled that in terms of running back carries with 22. And since that time, New England also has been pretty stout, just 3.2 yards per carry allowed to opposing running backs. So I really don't think the backfield gets there anyhow. So I would only play it through Tyreek Hill. I'm somewhat skeptical of this game overall. Yeah. Uh, Juju, no injury designation. Okay. Do you think so? The Juju stuff, like, I I get what you're saying, where, you know, he was playing ahead and Bourne, they just like wouldn't put him on the field. I was writing about this like week after week. Like, why aren't they playing Kendrick Bourne? He's clearly their best wide receiver, but he's been out there and productive. Mm -hmm. Does that not keep him in place? Or you think, because Juju, we don't talk about open score, he's last, he's 109th among receivers and tight ends. 
uh, dead last in open score. The guy's completely washed. And Kendrick Bourne has been super explosive in his absence. So I don't know. Like, I don't necessarily want to even play Kendrick Bourne for DFS. I'm just like, please, please tell me they're not going to do this. It's kind of crazy. My my contention to that would be if uh, Kendrick Bourne is around like the 10% ownership mark, like we're projecting him right now, we do have other receivers in the 4K-ish range um, yeah. where he isn't just like the only punt option. Uh, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. If, if he's going to stay there, if Juju isn't going to move his ownership projection, which we will have a, a better idea of um, once we get Saturday final projections, not final projections, but our big Saturday update tomorrow, um, I think it makes it a pretty easy um, – spot to to fade and, and kind of I, I think there's just better game environments across the board even though uh the dolphins do have the highest total this week same for that me i i don't mind eating ownership on this slate but again it's so flat everywhere because there's so many options i don't want to eat double digit kendrick Bourne. that's not where i want to go on a 13 game yeah. slate Absolutely. Um, the only player really projecting as an obvious cash play is Tyreek. Very expensive. Um, but whenever Tyreek's active, just the way our models work, the the high salary receivers are pretty much always going to pop. So he's definitely not a lock, um, but really the only guy popping in this game as a uh, cash option. Uh, other team with a big total, Chiefs uh, total, I believe it did move up to 27. It was at 26 and a half yesterday. Uh, they are favored by seven points at the Broncos in a game with a 47 point total. Um, the thing that you talked about yesterday, Daigle on the podcast with Paulson is that just the chiefs defense has been so good that it might just also kind of slow down the entire outlook of this game. Even last week, the chargers who we were a little concerned about pushing back at least through halftime, they pushed back. The game was still within a score. Um, obviously chargers scored no, no points in the second half, but this Denver team, um, against the chiefs that are chiefs defense that's top two in schedule adjusted points allowed to both quarterback and running back. Um, I mean, does does the Chiefs defense matchup just kind of hinder any game flow of this game that we're hoping for? I think so. Travis Kelsey is obviously always in play. It really comes down to the margin of salary and does that slate allow us to afford him? And then the argument is easy whenever, like last week, uh, optimal cash game swaps happened whenever Jackson Smith and Jigba opened up because DK Metcalf got ruled out of his game time decision. And I knew what everyone was going to do in head to heads. I knew everyone was swapping to Travis Kelsey over Cooper cup. I stayed yeah. stubborn. I wanted to play cup instead of Kelsey. I didn't care because I thought the matchup was significantly better. And then not only did Kelsey just end me in two quarters, but cup also just didn't get there at any point. So yeah. that was not a good cash game slate for me personally, because I was stubborn purposely, but even so Patrick Mahomes only passed for 100 yards in third and fourth quarter. They got everything done in the first half. And so it just seems like another one where I'm confidently betting on the under in this game. As you alluded to, the Chiefs defense since week two when they got Chris Jones back, eighth in yards per play allowed, third lowest explosive passer rate. No offense has reached 21 points against them in that time. And given that a couple weeks ago, we saw Russell Wilson throw for 95 yards and two picks against them. This is not the matchup I think happens for the Broncos offense. So I'm pretty confident in Kelsey Chiefs defense or Pacheco, who's coming off a season high, career high actually, of share of backfield touches. The Broncos defense at that same time has played better the last three weeks, through the air at least. Those studs, Justin Simmons, Patrick Sertan, have come through. But they've still been getting murdered on the ground. 
They still are one of only three defenses allowing over five yards per carry to opposing running backs and the 10th highest rate of explosive runs. So I kind of just foresee myself fading Kelsey, taking the salary discount on Andrews, Kittle, or someone else cheaper we'll talk about, and playing this through Pacheco and the Chiefs defense instead. Yeah, one one thing we mentioned last week as a very quick aside, and I wish I would have harped on it more and we would have harped on it more. Um, I, I don't remember. It might have been Higby that Corinne was talking about, but I mentioned it's it actually sets up really nice for a two tight end week last week it did. And I said, if we're going to play Kelsey, that's probably the unique way to play him. Um, it ended up that the Millie winner went double bully tight end. Andrews Kelsey uh-huh. combo takes it down. I think from a projection standpoint, that makes sense again this week. The problem is I think a lot of people saw those two tight end builds work last week. We saw the highest um, two tight end rate that we saw all season in the millionaire. And we also saw by far the highest uh, rate of two tight ends in in top 1% builds. I think we see a little bit of carryover to that this week. We actually have pretty high projections on tight ends across the board, kind of projecting for like 120 to 125% total ownership uh, among tight ends, which is very high. So I I think uh, from a uniqueness standpoint, it's not going to be as unique as it was last week. Just, um, just copycatting is all it's copycat, doing. From a, from a week where it made yep. sense. Uh, yeah. What was it last week? A 10-game slate? And yep. we talked about how ugly it was, and so it made sense. But I, I was too donkey to get to bully tight end anyways. Like, I would have ended up playing Trey McBride as one of them yeah. just to take the discount. So I wouldn't have got to Andrews Kelsey. So congrats to those people because they were smart, ugly. That way you just bully it with tight end. But this is not the week, in my opinion, given 13 games. It's not ugly. It's just a matter of about getting the pieces right. I also yeah. wonder if some uh, of that's boosted by the fact that Andrews went off early and like was part of a game, one of the few games that went off. Like he would have been tied to Lamar. So you're like, I, I can swap to Kelsey. I've got I've got yeah. the nut. I've got the early nuts. I'm swapping to Kelsey. So I think a lot of sharp lineups did that uh the winner actually had andrews in the flex so they didn't even have it pisses me off so much when i'm swapping against the flex early god i do think a lot of lineups did swap from uh cup to kelsey um after after that uh for sure yeah. um unfortunately the winner did not do that uh Corain, not, a cup scored nine points so it didn't matter yeah, uh, i know from experience uh, <laughs> on the Denver side, uh, as you mentioned in the walkthrough, um, not only has Denver played at an extremely slow, slow pace, they're last in, in neutral pace this year, um, but they are also slanting towards the run. And this is a game where, I mean, I think you said something to the to the effect of like, they'll they'll if they want to lose a close game, they'll go with the run heavy game plan. Yeah. Do you see uh, it playing out like that? And and I mean, if it works, we saw things kind of shifting towards Javante last week. Do you see that trend continuing this week? Yeah, we all watched the Buccaneers last night bleed 10 10 minutes off the clock, (laughs) down 14. You know, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to maximize their chances of winning? Are they trying to maximize their chance of scoring a touchdown Mm -hmm. and not lose by 14 points? Like, I have a theory, (laughs) you know, and I think that we see this – People are playing for other things. They're playing for job security. They're they're playing yeah. not to get embarrassed, right? So, and I actually have a different read on this matchup um, on the Chiefs side than Daigle, where, you know, if you look at the last four weeks post-Miami, the Broncos are still 28th in the EPA allowed per dropback, but 29th in dropback success rate. 
They've played Mahomes, but they've also played Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, and Jordan Love during that stretch. I think they should be quite worried about what Patrick Mahomes can do through the air against them. And they have shown that they are a run-first team. They have a pass rate of expected of 0% or lower in every week this season. And they just unleashed Javante Williams a bit more last week. He he was also quite a bit more efficient than he's been to start the year. That's you know a great sign looking like he's trending in the right direction health-wise there. It would make a lot of sense for the Broncos from the perspective of you know a comfortable loss to go really run heavy here. And it's like the second game they've had with the Chiefs. Like, let's let's just like keep this tame. Teams yeah. do stuff like this. So I, I'm not feeling this like I, I would take the under. I very much agree with with that. I think yeah, we kind of think... came to the same conclusion there. Yeah, that we we're not really high on this game. We just got there. Yeah, I'm not yeah. high on this game. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't like yeah. the Pacheco side as much, but I get but certainly it's, totally can, fine. it's more of it. a yeah. just, just like we talked about the past couple of weeks with Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs, Rashad White. You always get excited when yeah. these players get played because who cares? Like, they don't beat you right. in tournaments. Why would I ever play those guys? Uh, and that's kind of like Pacheco, where if you think it's a Chiefs blowout, Pacheco probably gets there. But, like, are you scared of Pacheco? That's the thing. Right. He has Now right. he has gotten four targets in three of his last four games and in back-to-back games. He's getting a lot more of the passing share now, too, as they practically just eliminated Jared McKinnon outside of two-minute drills altogether. So he is getting there in different ways now. But am I scared of him? I don't know. It's just really about the salary and the lack mm-hmm. of confidence I have in any running backs like under 6K this week. Yeah, it's a pretty light running back slate for uh, having 13 games. Isaiah Pacheco at 6,100 is actually in the DraftKings optimal right now. Um, Kelsey's always going to project well, projected one of the top tight ends. His projection's just going to lap the field. So unless he's priced like Cooper Cup, um, he's always going to project as a fringe He's averaging value on both five sides. and a half more points per game than the next closest tight end. Like regression just doesn't happen for him. Yeah. He just murders you. It's crazy. He was the 1.01 <laughs> besides CMC. And we all missed it. He's um, like, talking yeah. my face. Like, Dude, what a donkey. <laughs> Uh, this game I think is actually quite interesting. Cowboys favored by six against the Rams, uh, 25.75 team total for the Cowboys, a game total of 45 and a half points starting on the Cowboys side, uh, with Corrine. We saw a pretty uh, slow start from Pollard so far. At least he hasn't been scoring a lot of touchdowns, but he is getting a ton of volume with that said, he's still going to be chalk because big favorite and again, a a pretty soft um, running back week in terms of the available backs on the slate. So if Pollard's going to be mega chalk and we're not going to get much leverage by using him, even though he started slow, is this a spot where we can look for Dak to attack downfield against this Rams defense? If they could hold up against the pass rush and does that make Dak and CD a nice pivot off of Pollard this week? Yeah, I kind of looked into doing the Dak. Dak double stack maybe with with CD and Ferguson. Well, I'll talk about it later, but um, I don't I don't like love it. I mm-hmm. I do think some of the, in some of these spots, right? You're it's leverage off of Pollard. Yeah. I don't love it. I don't think anyone's gonna love it, and so it'll probably be pretty low owned. Um, and CD's obviously got a really high ceiling because he's really good. I, I noted in the walkthrough this week that you know he's his open score is awesome, and it's so much better than Brandon Cooks or Michael Gallup. It's actually kind of nuts. This is one of those spots where I'm like, they're screwing this up. 
Like, why aren't they just feeding this guy? Like, he is obviously he's a clear number one on the team, but he he is so far superior to the other wide receiver options. I think it's a kind of an indictment of their play calling that he's not just like getting peppered with first read targets. He's like good, but not great there. It's kind of wild. Um, my concern generally is that I don't think the Rams will hold up to the pass rush. The Rams aren't holding up to like anyone's pass rush and the Cowboys have an elite pass rush and the Rams are dealing with, you know, injuries on the offensive line and just ineffective play on the offensive line. Uh, Stafford's also been pretty shaky this year. Like he's starting to, flash some worrying signs and some of the advanced stuff. So I'm, you know, I don't like Cowboys games are so weird, you know, like they could, yeah. this does set up as like a big volume game for Tony Pollard again. It's not like the best matchup for him in terms of the efficiency, but I am a little nervous about not having Pollard. Um, if I'm pivoting, it's almost like I want to be like pivoting to like, make sure McCaffrey's in my lineup or something like that. Like, give me get, give me a different high upside play as opposed to trying to leverage it with, with lamb. But I do think it is in play because lamb is very good. And this is a pretty interesting downfield passing matchup where the Rams are, are 31st in PFF's coverage grade. So if they want to attack downfield, they should be able to. One thing to think about with Dak is that if Brock Purdy is out. We're probably going to see two very distinct builds, and that's punt quarterback or pay up at quarterback because Lamar, Jalen Hurts, and Mahomes are all uh, projecting very well. Those players all, except for Lamar, uh, Jalen Hurts, and Mahomes also have expensive pass catchers tied to them. So the one thing or one thing that Dak could offer us, again, if Darnold is out, is that he will give us a unique build because we're going to have Either, we're basically have studs and duds at quarterback. Um, that it, it's not quite as um, uh, effective if if Purdy is active. We don't get that punt, Darnold. But if everybody's paying all the way up or all the way down, it will lead to a unique build. So that'll be something to think about. Uh, to play a little bit of devil's advocate on those injuries, Dallas defense—they're pretty injury injury riddled as well. So Daigle, after we saw a Rams team that we talked up quite a bit last week in what should have been a really good matchup after cup coming off of a dud matchup where all the expensive receivers except for him are probably going to draw some ownership if not chalky ownership is this actually interesting to go back to the well against a banged up dallas defense play cup um, with maybe like a, a higby or something like that in stafford doubles we are never playing Higby. Uh, you can't, you can't we me. We're like, not playing Higby. Yeah, he's, he's obviously like this target share has become solely Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. No one else matters. Tutu <laughs> may get there because he's still out there running motion behind their wide yeah. receivers, but the target share is so condensed. Even their running backs, like Stafford has targeted his running backs the league's lowest rate since Cooper mm -hmm. Cup returned the last three games. Everyone got squeezed out. Having said that, I have a hard time wrapping my head around this one partly because the Cowboys offense is the least sexiest to discuss uh, 23rd in pace from a neutral game script. So they're just purposely slowing it down and they're one of the league's worst red zone offenses because when the field gets condensed, they have no idea how to play call except to give the ball to Pollard who has been yeah. one of the league's least explosive running backs this year. So when discussing the Cowboys offense, we say, okay, on FanDuel, he's a cash game option because he's underpriced. I understand that. Um, but Last 
time they played, we saw them in a one-score game script throughout against the Chargers. And it was only interesting because then Pollard handled 21 to 24 backfield touches. No one else was involved. So that's why you would be playing them more than anything. And Jake Ferguson ran around in over 80% of dropbacks. So again, that's why we're playing these two cheaper pieces. Other than that, like Corrine hinted at, Stafford's been an entirely different quarterback when he's been under pressure. And despite missing Trevon Diggs and Leighton Vanderish, like the Cowboys are still, all they did was drop from the best team in terms of getting pressure to like still a top 10, but barely there. Like their seventh in pressure rate in their last two games still, pressuring quarterbacks in over 41% of their dropbacks. Uh, Stafford, on the other hand, is 10th in yards per attempt from a clean pocket. So I kind of... I think it's easier to paint a picture of how this game doesn't get there as mm-hmm. opposed to how it does. That's why I'm pretty worried about it. They kind of struggled uh, against the Cardinals with pressure. Like they, right. you know, the yeah. Steelers are a big problem. Like it doesn't, the Cowboys don't have to be at the top of their game. I completely agree. Yeah. Like a lot of the games on the slate, um, it, it's just very tough to imagine how the game environment elicits um, heavy stacks on either side. Again, Cooper Cup is just going to stand out as such a good standalone play to me. Pollard chalk in the same game. All the other high uh, salary wide receivers projecting for ownership. Uh, we know Cup could get there. Uh, you know, with Stafford doesn't have to throw for 350 yards for Cup to get there. Uh, so definitely keep an eye on that. If his ownership stays in the single digits, he's going to be a player that I'm targeting very heavily. Uh, Pollard is a top three. Fandle running back value, uh, but in the optimal on both sides. Uh, Ferguson also a very good putt tight end play this week. Uh, moving on to one of the bigger spreads of the week, the Ravens favored by nine and a half against the Cardinals in Arizona, 27 point total for the Ravens, a game total of 45 and a half. Uh, we know Lamar's probably going to get some ownership in with that. Zay Jones and Mark Andrews are pretty good plays. Daigle, do you have any lean on if we are playing Lamar, uh, which spot you like between Zay and Mark Andrews, assuming we're not double stacking this game with the caveat that on the other side, we're probably getting very heavy Trey McBride ownership. And it's just another great spot for Lamar, who we even saw last week. You don't have to really play the negative game script option since the Ravens still have to build points in order to create Mm -hmm. that negative game script. So you can definitely play Lamar. I worry that if you're not paying down at quarterback, he's going to be the cash game option. Thus he'll trickle down into tournaments. Having said Mm -hmm. that he was last week as well. And it didn't matter. Like he still got there as the tournament winner with Mark Andrews. I still lean Zay flowers for the same reason we talked about last week. And that Lamar is the quarterback you play against zone coverage. The lions had, been playing at a top five rate. The Cardinals have only played 50 snaps all year, which is pretty much only a game's worth across seven games of man coverage. So they're going to go heavy zone here, most likely. And Lamar is first to completion rate and fourth in yards per attempt against zone coverage. This is how he doused the Lions. I imagine this is how he gets there here in this spot. And Zay Flowers at sixth in the entire league in target share against zone coverage. So that's my lean over Mark Andrews. There are a lot of tight ends around Andrews I would like to play anyways, so I would do that. And then on the other side of the ball, I wish we were getting Kyler because I think Lamar would yeah. be even more interesting. I think we would lose some Lamar ownership if we were getting Kyler, actually. Uh, he's still probably going to be high rostered, though. But I think Trey McBride or Amari DiMarcado are probably the better ways to play it since we've lost like all the targets or we've lost all the... Uh, 
production for Marquise Brown the past few weeks because Josh Dobbs has turned back into a pumpkin. Like these yeah. targets he's getting mm-hmm. do not matter. They are so inaccurate. Uh, Dobbs is seventh and inaccurate and an on target rate, seventh lowest um, the past in this, the past four weeks as well. So we've just, we've lost the idea that these air yards and these targets that Marquise Brown are mattering whatsoever. So I play it through D Mercado. If you want a cheap running back since in back-to-back games, he still leads the Cardinals backfield in snaps and, more importantly, routes run. Um, this past week, even 93% of the team's running back carries, 97% of their backfield touches. And my fear is that everyone's going to play Trey McBride. And to be fair, the Cardinals are Trey targeting. McBride. Yeah, they're they're tied into the third highest rate in the league. So maybe it matters. But I don't know. Like playing Lamar, Zay Flowers, and Trey McBride, you're already eating Jesus, like 60, 70, 80% yeah. ownership. So that's what sucks about it. You're it's like the way to play this that makes the most sense is Lamar Flowers McBride. And it's like chalk, mm-hmm. chalk, chalk. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Great start. That's no fun. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Do you, I'm still wrapping my head around it. Corrine, with with uh just from an ownership perspective, if McBride's gonna be the most popular player on the slate or one of the, the two or three most popular players on the slate, like it feels like this year, and I don't feel like this. I just think people that are, are playing one or two lineups and just quickly looking at, at tournament winners feel like this, that we're just getting burned by chalk every week um, and that just blindly fading obvious chalk is dumb. I feel like this is like one of the easier chalk fades of the year, um, just given the lack of ceiling with what we've seen from um, Dobbs lately. Is there anything, I mean, from whether it be Dobbs himself, uh, McBride, DiMercato, that suggests any type of ceiling for this offense? I mean, not recently. And yeah. the Ravens, I mean, I made them this mistake last week going, well, the Ravens are a good defense, but I think that the Lions will be passing more. So we're going to get passing volume from the Lions. Like, let's go. Like, yeah. you know, and it kind of, it almost worked. <laughs> you know, we got Gibbs there. We got Amonra there. Goff cratered. And I almost, uh, my main lineup almost decided to play it from the Lamar side, which I wish I'd done that. But, you know, did play a golf lineup instead, and uh, that that was no fun. The The Ravens' defense is elite. Like, they, they are, they're mm-hmm. second in EPA allowed for dropback. They're third in dropback success rate. They're allowing the least explosive pass plays in the league. They're second in PFF's coverage grades. They don't have an elite pass rush, but it's pretty solid, and they can get coverage sacks, you know, because they're, they're so good on the back end. Um, they're good against the run, too. So there's just a very strong defense overall. This isn't like we need like a bounce back spot for Josh Dobbs. Like, come on, let's recapture some of that early magic. This is not that. And also when you look at like McBride, like what if he was like 3,400, would we be that interested? You know, like how much is he's 2,800 like that's So, okay. You know, but I don't know. He doesn't actually jump out. Like Brees Hall, I think is maybe like a thousand underpriced or more. You know, like he, I think yeah. he's probably like 1100 underpriced and Trey McBride, it's like, I don't know, like 400 underpriced. Like I, I think this is one of the easier pieces of chalk to fade. Also, I, I like Ferguson as we'll get to, and it's like everyone, please play McBride, play, no. play all the McBride you want. I can go do other stuff. I, I'm not even like that. Obviously it could hit, it could burn me, but it's the kind of bet I want to be making. When, when lineups with Lamar, 
Flowers, Brees Hall, and McBride all hit at 130% ownership, I'm going to be so pissed off on Sunday. I'm going to be, I'm just going to, I'm going to join the If Brees Hall is part of that, dude, I'll be fine. I'll be I'm no fine. longer going to be a GPP bro. I'm just going to, I'm just going to submit to the cash bros. Don't even care. Yeah. I mean, as we said at the top of the show, it, it feels like it's very hard to lean into one game. Um, it seems like we're going to have to be perfect at each position. And as we talk through these games, it's very clear why. With that, if it's tough for us, it's probably going to be tough for everybody else to find a game to lean into. So uh, I, I think there probably still is some merit to having some game stacks because no one's going to want to do it. And if we do f- find the game that hits, uh, we're probably going to be paid off handsomely. I don't know if this is the game that can do it, but this is the only game on the main slate where two teams both rank top 10 in passing rate over expectation. Now one has done it much better than the other. That is the Eagles favored by seven at the commanders, 43 and a half point total, which gives the Eagles a 25.25 team total. Uh, Corrine, we know that AJ Brown is on it absolute tear so i think the question is assuming that jalen hurts is healthy coming off of that uh we saw him last week kind of hobbling coming off the field against the dolphins but seems like he's all right no injury report uh does this game set up better for Devonte smith or dallas goddard who's kind of been on a mini tear himself um uh, i think probably smith where yeah at this point like it's brown's show but mm-hmm. um then we've also had this thing where Dallas Goddard all of a sudden kind of had this mini resurgence. Yep. It's been really tough sledding for Devontae Smith. Uh, one of the things I note in the walkthrough is that Goddard has been utilized on screens recently. And it's funny, like a few weeks ago, I was like, man, he's not getting used on screens anymore. Um, where he, he was seeing about a screen less per game, he's still averaging almost a screen per game to begin the season, but he was averaging almost two screens per game last year and those screen targets have been extremely valuable for i mean you know it's a it's a catch plus yard so it's almost like two ppr points right there plus obviously he can hit big plays on those so um he has been getting targeted at a really high rate on screens over the last few weeks and i think that's really helped boost his value but i think the pass rush probably played into that and this is not a matchup where the eagles need to be worried about the commander's pass rush all that much. They should be able to attack downfield uh, pretty well against this secondary. And so that makes me more interested in Devontae Smith as kind of the secondary option. I think he still is kind of the established secondary option ahead of Dallas Goddard, despite Goddard having a nice little run here. Um, he is very much the secondary option, though, with A.J. Brown as the primary. Yeah, and like I said, that that's kind of with the caveat that we we kind of assume that AJ is going to get his. I do believe we are projecting Smith for like, yeah, we're projecting for sub five percent ownership right now. Hmm. Uh, I mean, Jalen's probably going to be somewhat popular just because he just has a crazy floor and ceiling combo that I mean, kind of basically only Lamar has right now, um, given how much they're both running. Uh, and then everybody wants to play AJ. We've seen Goddard, um, you know, like you said, have a nice couple of weeks. So I, I do think that we're going to see quite a few combos of those three players together, even some DeAndre Swift. And I just don't think anybody is going to play Smith this week. So um, if I'm playing it, I, I I don't think I could play Jalen without AJ. Um, but yeah. if we can manage a way to get those uh, doubles with that salary, I mean, Devonte Smith at, at two percent in the spot um i could play pretty interesting I could play devonta without jalen for sure yeah yeah yeah. what about devonta yeah. and swift 
Uh, Man. I, I know Swift is seeing a higher target share. No, I mean, I, not with her. Yeah. Like, just do the two pieces of the Eagles, and it's like the Eagles. Uh, Eagles yeah, I, I think, ripped. yeah, yeah, I think if I'm playing Hurts, like, I just don't know how I don't play Brown with him. Um, right. But, right. like, one-offs, like, without Hurts, I think that makes more sense. But if you're playing Hurts, it's hard to play him without AJ, I think. I completely agree. Yeah, I meant, like, Swift. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That's the, no play yeah. like some kind of lever. I think that's the way to play. I think I would prob poof. That's that's a tough one. I guess it does make sense that that's how Hertz cannot get there, and that those two get there. Um, then yeah, that's not thinking, a bad play. Yeah, if I would you're have trying to, to paint the narrative of Hertz not getting there. You probably just yeah. start with his injury. Like maybe they've been masking <laughs> yeah, something since AJ yeah. AJ Brown sound a lot more serious about Hertz's injury than like. Hertz did when he talked about it. So there could yeah. be something there. I don't know, but that's how this game doesn't get there. Um, Daigle on the other side, McLaurin has pretty clearly been separating himself in recent weeks from uh, the rest of the pack, but we still have Logan Thomas and Curtis Samuel projecting as pretty decent values. I think Cur uh, Curtis Samuel is uh, good to go. Uh, I know Corrine said he has uh, some stats on how taking all the sacks, but given that, Philly has been one of, if not the biggest pass funnel league. And we actually do have quite a bit of value. And if we do have pretty inactive, we're going to have like some obvious pay down uh, spots on the 49ers. Um, like, can this be like a leverage pay down value spot with how, or is it just kind of, we have to play one-offs if there's value um, and just go from there. And he nearly got to 300 yards the last time these two teams played too. Yeah. Again, I've thought about it. I still think Hal is too thin on this slate. I could be wrong. Um, I do like McLaurin, although I think McLaurin will also be somewhat higher rostered since he kind of fits into that mid-5K, no-man's-land range since he has boxed out Jahan Dotson and he's gone over 25% of the team's targets in three of his last four games. I think Hal's too thin, personally. Uh, yeah. I probably just stick with either a skinny stack with McLaurin or Thomas mm -hmm. McLaurin preferred with AJ Brown or Devonta Smith. Um, unless you're playing Hertz doubles and running back with McLaurin. Yeah, I, th I agree. I think if we are like thinking of game stacks in this spot, um, it's definitely skinnies. It, McLaurin's going to project the best. Like if you want to do, if, if you're trying to figure out a way to um, get correlation with AJ, but you don't want to pay all the way up for Jalen or something like that. I think wide receiver opposing pass catcher stacks makes sense in this spot. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know how you throw a how out there this week. No, I that's why that's what makes Darnold interesting because a lot of these cheaper quarterbacks become unnecessary Right now, it even feels like I'm trying to play some of them only to allocate salary elsewhere. I like I have better arguments for mid-range quarterbacks, which are going to get lost, which is okay, I think, in this slate. But outside of Darnold, like me trying to jam Derek Carr or whatever else in there, it's only because I'm trying to save salary. So it's the same yeah. thing for Sam Howe. Like I would only be doing it to save salary. I, I don't think I need to get there on this slate, though. I agree. Um, I I think that... I got a question a couple of weeks ago in our, in a DFS AMA that was like, how do we pick these like random games that go off? And my answer was like, kind of like, we kind of don't, we're like looking for values, um, you know, building around those uh, trusting team scores and team and game totals. But this week where 
all of these teams have, we we're really struggling to find a spot where teams are matched up e- e- uh, evenly, especially the high scoring teams. We can't game stack. I do think there's probably some merit that if we're going to game stack, looking to these secondary games, we saw the Colts have a ceiling game last week. They're going to be playing opposite of Kamara who should get some ownership. The Panthers Texans game, I think is really quite interesting um, mm-hmm. for multiple spots. Um, Jaguars have quite a bit of value on their side. So that game's going to be interesting. Um, Titans are maybe like days away from a fire sale might be the worst team in the league coming up pretty soon. And Brees is going to have mega ownership. Uh, so that game's kind of interesting just because they're gonna have the chalkiest player of the week there. So Daigle starting with you um, out of these games that we haven't touched on yet. Is there one that stands out to you as, as one you want to be targeting? Yeah, like pretty much like all three you mentioned there because the three games that whose totals four, actually, if you include the chiefs Broncos, even though, we kind of talked about how we don't believe that one. But the other three games I'm most interested in are the ones that are great for unique tournament ownership. And all three of their totals have increased throughout the week, including the Colts, Saints, mm-hmm. Dolph, uh, Panthers, Texans, and then this yeah. one, Steelers, Jaguars, that I find interesting. Like, first of all, if you want to play Travis Etienne, totally fine. Eat the chalk. Mm-hmm. He gets every single roll, including now all the touches inside the five-yard line. So who cares? He's a great play. Steelers also just allowed 127 rushing yards to Daryl Henderson and Royce Freeman. So have at it. Etienne's a great play. They're great passing through the air, and it's a pretty condensed target tree since we yet again don't think they're going to go back to Calvin Ridley. Because whenever teams play man coverage, they just genuinely don't look Calvin Ridley's way. And what they do, it's with those volatile, deep shots outside the numbers that are all 50-50 balls that you have to get lucky to catch anyways. Um, He's seen six targets against man coverage all year. And the Saints play man coverage at a much greater extent than the Steelers do. 57% of their snaps last week against the Jaguars. The Steelers only a third of their snaps so far against man coverage. Um, But even so... Like, they're still one of those top defenses, top 10 in man coverage. So if we don't think they're going to look Calvin Ridley's way, then it's going to keep going to Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram. So I like playing it through that. If you want to play Trevor Lawrence, who's going to go overlooked. And then the other side of the ball, Corrine discussed it last week, saying that Matt Canada would be an idiot if he didn't keep George Pickens involved. (laughs) And I said, that's fine, because Matt Canada is an idiot, so I I don't care. Um, But at least last week, they kept George Pickens involved. Um, he had the higher target share, 30% of the team's targets compared to week one when he had a 15 and a half percent target share across from Deontay Johnson and 40% of the team's air yards. So like he's, he's better than Deontay Johnson. I think he's, he's already there. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I just questioned the usage yeah. under Matt Canada. And at least for one game, we saw Pickens survive with a 15 yard depth of target and 30% target share. That's what's sexy. And now if you look back from week two on George Pickens has still been getting there but he's done so because the Steelers to this point have played all top 11 defenses in points per game to boundary receivers where he runs 96% of his routes. Now you have the Jaguars that are literally allowing the fifth most points per game to opposing boundary receivers. So it's arguably the best spot ever for Pickens. So (laughs) I can see myself already working in skinny stacks with like Christian Kirker, ETN with Pickens on the comeback. Um, maybe even Pickens and Connor Hayward if I'm trying to get off Trey McBride. I'm trying to figure out how to play it. But either way, the point is, I like this game a lot. I like this yeah. call. I, I feel like I need more things to like this week. And I like that that you sold me on that. I love Pickens is the is the bring back. 
Evan Ingram would be another guy I would just kind of underline here. Um, he has not been a player that I've really thought that much of the last few years. I'm like, he's okay. got the super low ADOT. Like, what's this guy really do? But the Steelers have a pretty solid pass rush. And if we're looking at like maybe a more of a quick passing game here, the fact that Evan Ingram is getting targeted so shallowly and he is getting open. He's one of the guys who's actually looked pretty good in open score. He's got a really high target rate. Um, I think, you know, that's another guy to kind of keep in the mix if you're doing Lawrence stuff. Uh, I like I like the Kirk. I like the ETN calls too, but we just throw him out there. Yeah, yeah, Ingram I, has more targets than Ridley since week two. Like, I think it's that easy. Like, they just target him more. Yeah. Yeah, all, all of the Jaguars are going to have very spotty ownership, I think. Um, I, I think ET and, and Kirk, um, maybe even Ingram, uh, will, will get moderate ownership. I don't think anybody in this game is super popular on either side. Um, but I, all of them, a lot of them are going to project quite well. And that's exactly what we're looking for. Um, because of the total being relatively low, I do think people are going to not necessarily stay away from this game. I think it's just going to kind of get overlooked um, a little bit. Um, we teased this a little bit at the top. Nico Collins cover boy for the walkthrough. Uh, Texans lead the league in splash zone targets per game. Uh, Nico Collins leads the team in splash zone targets per game right around guys like A.J. Brown, Jacoby Myers in terms of splash zone targets per game. I think this is a very intriguing game with two rookie quarterbacks, current. Yeah, this game is kind of the game that jumps out to me. Um, and not just because of Nico Collins, although I do really like Nico Collins in this game. Uh, you know, they, they're attacking downfield and over the middle of the field. And I write in the walkthrough, like, this is very much scheme. Like, just it's interesting when you look at the leaders, it's like half of them are Kyle Shanahan or guys who like recently worked for Kyle Shanahan. Like this is, this is a design They're They are, you know, it's not just that they're good for PPR fantasy points. Like this is how you actually rack up yards and yeah. touchdowns and stuff. So um, they are attacking this part of the field and Nico Collins is the guy that they are primarily doing that with. You've got this Panthers defense. That's terrible against the run. Now that could be bad, right? We want passing going. Why do we want teams that are terrible? I like when a team is a kind of balanced or run first team. And then they are playing a team that's bad against the run because they're going to run the ball. some. like the Texans are not just going to lean and just have a strap, chuck it and chuck it. If they're going against a team that's bad against the run, that means they're going to be continually getting first downs, moving the chains. They're going to be having a successful day on offense. Generally Stroud's going to be able to pass from a position of strength. I think the Texans are set up really well to score points in this game. I think Tank Dell is a really interesting play in this game as well. It's not just Collins. I think Dalton Schultz is kind of interesting. Um, I think we've got a clear bring back with Adam Thielen, who's just like the whole Panthers uh, offense. We've got a Panthers team that has shown a consistent willingness to pass the ball when down. Now they have a new play caller and maybe, maybe they're more conservative going forward, but so far, they've been willing to kind of chuck it from behind the kind of the Viking style. Like this wasn't what we planned to do, but we will do this. We're not going to roll over. Um, God, it would be so embarrassing for them to roll over against the number two pick. Like they've got it. They've got to pass, you know, they've got to stay in it. So, and all of that's flowing through one guy. So it just makes it like an easy setup where it's a, a kind of a simple, cheap double stack with a bring back and a game environment where I can see, one, the team I'm stacking scoring easily and the team I'm bringing back with passing in comeback mode, it all just 
it all just feels good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, we got CJ Stroud at 6,300 on DK. All of his primary pass catchers, 5,500 or below. Um, I really hope none of these guys catch any steam because if we're getting that cheap of salaries, all at single-digit ownership where it lets us get to our one-off cups, one-off Kelsey's, maybe both of them. Uh, it's a it really, feels too really easy fun. if Darnold doesn't it go. It feels too easy. That is the big, especially if, if Darnold is starting um, and everybody's going there. This just feels mm-hmm. like such a great way to pivot off of that cheap quarterback uh, in San Fran. Yeah, I think I'll have some of it either way, but um, but it'll yeah. probably just be with the understanding it'll be somewhat chalkier. I yep. I think I think this game may be like my single entry course. I think I like yeah. this game the best. I started out the week thinking I can't put my finger on it, but I need to research this more because something's not right. And the more I looked into it, the more I was like, Oh, this is a game that pops. Okay. So I like it a mm-hmm. lot. We'll talk, mm-hmm. we'll talk about it more as we move on. Yeah, definitely. Um, as we mentioned, the, the games we didn't really dive into, we talked about it up top uh, cash games, pretty much swing on the health of Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, mega chalk, one of the best values on the slate. Jamar projecting very well on both sites. Um, Joe Mixon and TJ Hawkinson projecting well on Fandle. Brandon Powell is in the Fandle optimal right now. I don't think we're ever playing Brandon Powell in cash. I think when we see something like that, it's kind of just worth noting that it's probably worth like a punt play on Fandle when we typically wouldn't do that, trying to get to another ceiling option there. So um, just keep that in mind. I think we can all kind of agree that Trey McBride is the worst chalk. So um, I'll just kind of ask you guys what chalk plays you like. Uh, the players projecting for the most ownership, Lamar, Brees Hall, Tony Pollard, Zay Flowers, Jamar, and Tyreek uh, Crane. Anyone pop to you that you prefer there? I mean, Brees Hall was like Such a good, the guy I was yeah. just hammering all just all summer. And it's like, it was for this. It was for this game. You know, it was for, he's, he's going to, like when I told myself the story, it was, he's going to take the backfield over, you know, come out of the bye and we're hitting the ground running. And he's, I didn't know at the time he's going to get this Giants team that, you know, real bad against the run. And, you know, they're going to be in a position where like, they don't want to, they don't want to put this on Zach Wilson. Like they're going to feed him. I think he, they think he's ready. He would have to, like, if he was 7,000 on DraftKings, I'd still be interested. I wish you were. Ownership. Right. So like, this is a an egregious price, fifty nine hundred for an explosive running back in a good matchup who's gonna get fed. Like I don't, I don't really want to. I ate the Raheem Mostert chalk a couple weeks ago. That mm-hmm. that worked out. <laughs> Maybe this won't, but I think I'm just gonna play a fair amount of Brees Hall. Um, I mean, God, it's gonna be yeah. so fun if it if it hits, you know. Yeah, I mean, Mostert was. Mostert was ended up 50% in the Millie, but that was a 10 game slate on a 13 game slate. I don't think we have Brees in like the 30 ish, 35 ish percent range. I think he probably stays there. Um, just he'll be 60% easy in small field. I think uh, small field. Sure. Was Ken Walker TJ in the winning lineup last week? No, he was not. No. Okay. Cause he got the hundred yard bonus. Cause it's just, it just reminds me the same thing. Although you could argue Raheem Mostert under 6K when he was eaten at like 60% and he was in the winning lineup. Ken Walker last week uh, was at least at 7K. And here's Brees Hall, as Pat mentioned, at 
coming off a season high 77% of the team's backfield touches, had two more weeks to heal, and now the Giants allowing the fourth highest rate of explosive runs. It's just like, just seems like a situation again where at 40%, if not more, I'm just going to play him. I don't care. Yeah, I'm just playing him. Yeah, and and I mean, talking about plays, um, you know, like the Houston spot, uh, it, it should be relatively easy to play heavy chalk smartly this week. And yeah. by that, I mean um, having relatively low owned or very low owned players to offset that thirty percent. Um, I think my early game plan right now is to go ahead and eat that chalk, but then have my game stack be the unique part of the lineup. Mm-hmm. At least when I'm talking yeah. about single entry and three max, like a CJ Stroud doubles. Uh, Trevor Lawrence doubles. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to just get around unique around the chalk as my core. Sure. Um, One thing for oh sorry go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say with with kind of this chalk conversation, like one thing I sometimes don't like to do, but I feel like I say I see Mike Leone kind of throw this these types of plays out a fair amount. It's like the the kind of the one off wide receiver type of play. Like a good wide receiver is gonna be low owned. And this does. (laughs) <laughs> honestly yes but they're not gonna play him enough but uh there's uh any any won't be low on but i think like with this type of slate as we talked about it might be a spot where you do kind of need to have the right pieces and so like trying to get unique by throwing out one of these wide receivers who's going to come in pretty low owned and you know you mentioned Devontae smith as a guy cd lamb is a potential guy there's probably a few of these that we can kind of sort through and think I don't always like to just kind of throw off, you know, a, a one single, a one-off kind of wide receiver play just as like a, a low ownership type of thing. But this is a week where I feel like that kind of makes sense from the macro perspective. Brandon Ayuk would be another guy if, if uh, Darnold doesn't play and he's not particularly popular. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we get into our favorite plays at every position, just want to remind everybody, about Price Picks. Price Picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. Go to pricepicks.com/dfsmvp. Use the code dfsmvp for a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars. We got back on the right track last week, and we're going to look to keep it going this week with a three-player pick'em that will five x your money when it hits. A few plays we like this week. Pukunakua for more than 76 and a half receiving yards. As we mentioned, that is one of the most concentrated passing attacks in the league between Puka and Cooper Cup. That's 76 and a half yards is one that we like him to go over. Alvin Kamara has basically been the Saints' entire offense. We like him for more than 91 and a half combined rushing and receiving yards. And in a negative game script, Brian Robinson in a backfield that is suddenly being shared three ways. We like him for less than 40 and a half rushing yards. Again, three-player pick them. Will 5X your money. Don't forget to go to pricepicks.com slash DFSMVP. Use the code DFSMVP for first deposit match up to $100. Price picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. Let's get into it. Pat, your favorite quarterback of the week. We talked about this game, but not this side yet. Well, my real favorite is Stroud, but uh, Daigle already stole him, <laughs> so I couldn't do that. And then I kind of think my second favorite is maybe Purdy if he goes, but I didn't mm-hmm. want this to just like completely age uh, completely irrelevantly. Yeah. So what do you do when you get boxed out of two uh, options you wanted to pick? You take the opposite <laughs> side of the game with Joe yeah. Burrow and – there's lots of different ways. I, I think the 49ers are interesting. You can go the Kittle route you can go the Ayuk route. You can go the McCaffrey route. Um, but if you go 
Burrow chase. I think that'll be pretty interesting. I don't think that'll be like a popular angle on this. You're probably better off with this if um, Darnold does play because then mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're, you're moving off of the, uh, the big ownership on the Darnold side, kind of pivoting to the other side of the game. But um, if Purdy plays, then I'd probably rather just play it through Purdy, to be honest. Yeah, I, I agree there. If we get that crazy ownership, we can get that huge leverage. Um, I, I don't think a lot of people are going to play Burrow, so, so that's a good call. Daigle, we we kind of pretty much uh, um, exhausted this game, but you want to give a couple more thoughts on your favorite quarterback? For all the things we mentioned about the wide receivers, it trickles up to C.J. Stroud, who against the zone coverage this year, and the Panthers run the league's highest rate of zone coverage. C.J. Stroud is ninth in yards per attempt and ninth in fantasy points per game so far. Um, Double-digit fantasy points against zone coverage. So for all the reasons we mentioned, I like playing him. And I think the Panthers could come out a little weird. Like there, there, are re- there are ways to play this game without Adam Thielen, which I know is scary, but Thomas Brown, as we mentioned, the offensive coordinator change, they had two weeks to implement it now over the bye, comes from the Sean McVay coaching tree. So I would imagine we get things simplified since he was the Rams assistant head coach last year, but also we could see a lot more three wide sets. We could see Jonathan Mingo get the post by rookie bump. If you're looking to punt at unique ownership, we could see Hayden Hurst involved more. If you're looking to spend away from Trey McBride at tight end around these Texans wide receivers. So there are just a lot of different ways to play this game. And I think that's, what's most fun about CJ Stroud in this spot. Yeah, absolutely. Panthers um, also have some we, injuries on defense too. Like it's, it's a oh, bad dude, defense. Ryan Burns got downgraded to DNP. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It sounds like, Fra- or Frankie Louvu got ruled out. Von Bell, I believe is questionable. Like they have a lot of bad injuries. DNP now. today too. Von Bell. So crazy, crazy good spot there. As we've mentioned multiple times, um, if Purdy is out, Sam Darnold is the cash game quarterback lock. If um, if Purdy does play, uh, we're probably looking at, at trying to fit in Lamar or um, Jalen Hurts at running back. Uh, going back to this game a little bit, but a spot that we haven't touched on. And I think this could be kind of a, a flip the build scenario, Corinne. Yeah, McCaffrey sets up, I think, for just a huge ceiling in this game. I mean, they're they're going to be feeding him like anytime i write up the the 49ers it's like you know it's like yeah they they're not going to have any trouble moving the ball this week i don't think i think it's i think the narrative on purdy has been kind of weird like he did have a bad game 2 weeks ago and then they lost to the vikings so it's like purdy's in a slump it's like no purdy was super efficient last week like he's they're fine i'm not worried about the 49ers scoring points with purdy and i'm frankly not worried about them scoring points points with darnold either um, McCaffrey gives that huge ceiling that we may need this week. Uh, we talked about maybe just like needing the right pieces and, and correlation not being like kind of as in our favor this week. And McCaffrey's like, yeah, this, he jumps out probably the most of like, this is definitely the guy you just might need to have to be kind of in the conversation. Um, and I think I can fit him. There's, there's a number of like, I, I, if I if I'm going to something like this Texan stack or some of these other mid-priced quarterbacks, like I think I can manage to fit McCaffrey. Some of the really high-end wide receivers are slightly less appealing, um, so like I'm kind of fading a little bit less there. If I if I spend up at at the elite running back, I don't know. I'm, I'm I just kind of feel like he's a smash. 
Yeah, a lot of times when we when we go to these studs and duds builds, it's really more about the studs. Um, this week, I, I think those kind of builds have legitimate ceiling all the way around. Um, I hope that doesn't mean it's like a 300 point to win DraftKings tournaments week because those are horrible weeks for me. I don't think it ever gets 300, like 280 or whatever. There's always tough weeks. So uh, hopefully that's not what this means, but uh, I think we have ceiling with our, our duds plays. Uh, Daigle, your next two plays are, are two of my favorite plays and I actually meant to get to this one earlier and I didn't. So talk to me about your running back play. Uh, is it Amari B. Mercado? I lost my notes here. Oh, Gus Edwards. Oh, sorry, Gus <laughs> Edwards. Okay. Uh, I knew I liked a couple cheapies. It's just the argument of the pivot off of Lamar Jackson, if that's the way you want to yeah. do it. It's hard to find a running back since like all the cheap running backs are off the slate. On mm-hmm. our main slate, you really don't have many options you have confidence in. And so if you want one, we at least know that if you're painting this game script of the Ravens building it, Gus Edwards can be a part of it. Uh, he's handled 68% of the team's running back carries whenever they've been up by eight plus points. Like that's how they kind of kill the game is with solely Gus Edwards. And so being so cheap on DraftKings and on FanDuel, since we're chasing touchdowns there, I think he makes the most sense if you can't get to, or just trying to play off of Lamar cash game stacks. Yeah. I like that call a lot. I don't know if, would you play him on DK or is it more like FanDuel? You need him to fall in for two touchdowns. I actually think he's more viable on DK this week in particular, just because he's so cheap. And again, it's kind of hard to find cheap running backs this week. That's why D Mercado's yeah. in play. Um, yeah, it's just rough out there. I, I you no, know, no. I was hoping, I was hoping Thursday night we got Charbonnet since Ken Walker was a true was a DMP, but uh, he got removed from the injury report altogether. Yeah, um, Brees Hall is the cash game lock of the week, so that's my running back. Uh, Crane, do you want to harp on Collins anymore? I'll just For note, uh, yeah, I, I will note that um, Robert Woods is is out. And then you plug in yeah. Noah Brown. And Noah Brown has been much, much worse than Robert Woods this year. So concentration, I think, is also on our side. That wide receiver three is not going to be drawing targets. Just makes Collins, Dell, Schultz all more interesting. Uh, Daigle, I, I think the, uh, I, I could guess the thesis of your wide receiver play as uh leverage off of Brees Hall, but coming out of the bye week uh, for the Jets, I mean, does Garrett Wilson just, uh, really start finding his traction and turning that huge target volume into monster fantasy days? Yeah. And I'm just giving everyone options. Doesn't mean I will yeah. get to him in cores. Doesn't mean I'm not going to play Brees Hall, but we at least know that Wink Martindale has never seen a snap. He doesn't like to blitz on. And Garrett Wilson is literally the only receiver being uh, with a 40% target share against the blitz. He's at 41%. The next closest in the league is at 36%. So we kind of know where the target's going to go. You need a touchdown. He's in a weird price. But like on a place like FanDuel, I don't mind chasing Wilson over Brees Hall. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a fantastic play. Um, if we're going to, even if Wilson's like 11% compared to 35% Brees Hall, I mean, we mentioned we love Brees as the chalk option, but um, if you are playing a lot of lineups, you're going to have lineups without Brees. So I, I think we it makes sense. Uh, we didn't talk about it either. The other, the other person I was going to put here, I, I think the market is pretty low on Chris Olave. Uh, and again, yeah. I'm trying to figure out that Saints-Colts game as a whole, but Olave even with the Alvin Kamara back the last four games, uh, we know the Colts are second in the league in zone coverage. 
They play 49% of their snaps from a league high cover three. And against cover three in particular, Chris Olave still has a higher target share, 25% the past month, than Alvin Kamara at 23%. Um, I think it's a pretty great bounce back spot for Olave, who remember, even last year, fifth in yards for route run against zone coverage. And I, I, I wonder why you Downs mentioned Derek Carr earlier. Yeah, and I think I think Downs will naturally get some ownership because he had a big game last weekend. He's Good cheap, um, so so some some leverage there. Um, one of the best value wide receivers of the week is Christian Kirk. Daigle talked about this game a little bit, but uh, we're projecting Christian Kirk as a top ten uh, wide receiver on both sites for the main slate. But he is priced as a wide receiver seventeen on both sites. Seven K Fanduel fifty nine hundred DK. Uh, really good value there. Should be around that twenty six percent target share that he has seen over the last month um, at tight end Corain, you hinted at Jake Ferguson but didn't get to expand on it so tell us why you like him this week I really really like him this week I think the Trey McBride stuff is like just such perfect cover where he's mm-hmm. cheaper he'll be easier to get to you know you, you have to like have to be kind of thinking about Ferguson to to kind of pivot to him uh, and so I don't think a lot of people will do it but I feel a lot more confident that I'm actually getting a talented player. I'm getting a guy on an offense that I think is way more likely to score points. Um, and you also have Jake Ferguson earning his his way into a bigger role as opposed to just being an injury fill-in. He's had target shares of 26%, 19%, uh, 20%. In all of those games, he had below 70% route participation. Then in week six, he jumps to 84% route participation, which is an elite mark for a tight end. And so we're finally getting him out there, but he only had a 3% target share, so it's a little under the radar. Uh, Plus, then they had a buy. But when you look at this guy's profile, he's 94th percentile in first read target rate uh, among tight ends. So they are looking to get him the ball when he's out there. He's got a 20% targets per out run, which is really strong for tight end. He's been very good in open score. So he he is kind of earning those targets. It's not just like they they like targeting the tight end. The one thing is a little bit kind of an underneath guy. He's got an A dot of 5.0. So, you know, you kind of are hoping there can be some volume in this game, which it probably won't be, but he's been involved in the red zone. So he's a pretty good touchdown bet. And then maybe you also get some kind of PPR um, bonus on top of that. I just, it's like a bet on talent play that's getting really mm-hmm. overlooked right now because of a more popular punt play. I, I, I mean, we've almost exclusively been playing our tight end correlated. We've seen, I think, six out of seven millies have had their tight end correlated in some fashion. Um, do you have a, like, he feels like a one off play, but that feels gross. I think he's a one off. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know it's gross, but I think I'm good. I think I'm probably just going to play in one off in a, in a cup fair lineups, cup, cup Ferguson lineups. It, sure, sure. I mean, that's yeah. that's kind no, of fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I would. I it, yeah, I mean, actually, I probably would be doing that if I'm gonna gonna make a point to play cup. And it, the other thing I would say, I mean, if you want to talk yourself into it as a one off, Pollard leverage. You know, get well, he's I the mean, one that scores I, the touchdowns. So tight end running back is an underrated stack that people don't realize like hits, like especially on Fandle where it's so touchdown dependent running back tight end, same team has found itself in the winning Sunday million, like a pretty fair amount. Like it's not a bad combination to, to roll out. So like you can even use it to offset Pollard's ownership if you want to, I think 
especially on FanDuel. Um, be, when we okay, have maybe that, maybe I hadn't thought of that angle on it. It's interesting. Uh, when we have a very obvious punt tight end, like we have in Trey McBride, that everybody's going to play. Uh, sometimes the move is just to get another punt tight end that hopefully gets to the end zone. We already talked about we like this game environment. Um, Daigle, uh, with Pat Fryermuth out, I mean, do we just throw the dart? Sure, you can do <laughs> sure. Travis Etienne, Connor Hayward, skinny stack. Since yeah. Hayward ran a route on all but one drop back, it only amounted to 23 receiving yards. But I think the moral of the story is, since we've already mentioned Evan Ingram, Jake Ferguson, George Kittle, uh, Hayden Hurst even, the moral of the story, and now Connor Hayward, is don't play Trey McBride in tournaments. That's it. Yeah. Just try to get our point across. Yeah. There's lots of options. Yeah, that's such a good point. So many options. Yeah, Just correlate. I, I wonder- but not with Trey McBride. Yeah, I wonder right. what our um our CJ Stroud tank Dell Nico Collins uh Connor hey, Hayward nurse. lineups let us do. They uh, probably let us do a lot of fun stuff at, at ceiling. Me too uh, much. Yeah. Um <laughs> to to counter uh the good game environment. Um if this game does go bad, Kareem, um, how does the Jaguars defense benefit? Yeah, so I think this is also one where um it looks like probably the Falcons will be like more popular. And so I'm, I'm in a similar salary range to that, but then I'm going against a quarterback who's like also been pretty bad. Like pickets. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, Falcons are, they can get play Will Levis. That's pretty sweet, but the Titans are going to be, they also know they're like, they have want no parts of this Will Levis thing either. Like they're going to be running, running, running. So if I'm going to be, sacrificing passing attempts against there you know that that's not ideal and then and not the seahawks are going to be super super pass heavy or anything but they they aren't going to like set you know rushing records um and so i I feel more confident about the passing attempts against with the jaguars and the jaguars have been a good defense so uh bad quarterback good defense get some passing attempts um, Daigle, Falcons are probably going to be pretty popular against whatever combo of Levis and Willis the Titans roll out. But uh, you think they have a ceiling? The concern is like how popular do they get? But uh, tell us about how this uh, Falcons defense matches up against whatever the hell the Titans plan on rolling out. It's like last week whenever cash games and tournaments, people play at the Giants naturally and they just got there because you can kind of set your watch to what Sam Howell and some offenses are going to do. You can set your watch to Will Levis in the NFL and Malik Willis. We've seen enough of this already <laughs> to know what they are. Will Levis yeah. took the FBS's highest sack rate on third down last year. He averaged an interception for every 26 pass attempts. He's not ready for this at all, especially against the Falcons defense who has actually been good this year and what the Titans want to do the Falcons have been amazing at in limiting opposing running backs to 3.4 yards per carry. So um, Falcons defense, an amazing call. I want to get to the Vikings. I really want to play the Vikings yep. since Jordan Love is a professional quarterback only because we watch him on Sundays. Not anything else pro- can prove it otherwise. But there's something fishy going on there because the Vikings should be like over three-point favorites. They are a much better team than the Packers. They've shown that. Jordan Love has absolutely crumbled under pressure. But something's off, and Vegas isn't moving the lines. They're not moving the team totals. Like, the Vikings are only one-point favorite still. So something's really weird there that I can't pinpoint. Yeah, um, in cash games, 
Uh, there's absolutely no reason to be going above 3K on DraftKings. You guys mentioned the Falcons and the Jaguars both under 3K. I agree. Falcon, Falcons, I'm sorry, Vikings down at 2,500. And then, I mean, you could even go to the Bengals down at 2,200. Um, even if Purdy doesn't play, like just a straight up punt, like it, it, it's 2,200 defense is 2,200. Would you defense. punt the Broncos at, at 2K over the Bengals? <laughs> I was seeing probably, some yeah, probably, yeah, probably, yeah, yeah, just because they're only 2K. If they yeah. get you four points, whatever, you know, if they don't give up a million points and get a couple of sacks, sure, um, definitely. Um, that'll do it for the week eight DFS MVP podcast. As always, really appreciate all of you t- tuning in. If you are listening, please give us a five star rating and review on whatever podcast platform you are using. It is the easiest way to give back to the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. Please like the video and please hit the notification button so you know when we are live across all of our 4 for 4 shows. In the YouTube description, you can find a link to sign up for Legendary Upside. Get the walkthrough every week. Karain, remind everybody what you got going on over there. Yeah, uh, legendaryupside.com. You can check out the walkthrough. Uh, Check out the walkthrough even if you don't want to sign up for the premium product, because I do have a free preview. It includes this uh, Texans write-up, uh, Texans Panthers. It also includes the uh, discussion we talked about with Sam Howell, where I, I threw out this, uh, looking at what he was doing when he's getting sacked, when he's not coming off the primary read of the play. And he's doing that like so much more than any other quarterback, just kind of staring down his receivers, staring at his receivers, and then the rushes on him. And it's, it's a real weakness of his game. I think something that can, Kind of help us just like understand who these players are can help us make good decisions and that's that's one of those that i would i thought was pretty fun this week so you can read that part of it completely for free you can also sign up get a narrated version of the article uh delivered to your your podcast player and it can shock you with its length like it does yeah if you have a road trip where you have to cross three state lines crane will be with you the entire time uh, so you're flying uh, uh, to the other uh, half of the world. You're going to Australia, yeah. you know. Yeah, you'll, <laughs> yeah. you'll have uh, uh, plenty of content there to get you through your trip. Uh, yeah. Also in the description, uh, links to sign up for the uh, DFS uh, subscription at 444. As I mentioned earlier, don't worry about using that YouTube code this week through Halloween. The DFS subscription is only $49. Make sure you get signed up for that. Once you do, you can upgrade to the solver optimizer and get all of the 444 projections automatically synced to the solver been using it every week and once you're signed up for all that you can get access to our discord which daigle and myself are in every sunday morning through kickoff uh if you want to follow us more you could find karain at pat karain legendary upside is that legendary upside daigle at not j daigle 444 at 444 football i'm at tj hernandez we'll talk to you guys on sunday morning